Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. Hi, Donovan. Big fan of the show. I recently found your channel because I've been fascinated with the supernatural and the paranormal ever since I've been involved in a case that was so strange that it puzzles me to this very day. I'll get into the details of the case in a second, because I have some photos to go along with it that I put in this Word document. It was too confusing to attach them since I'll be referring to the actual evidence. This happened roughly five years ago, and the case went cold a year after the incident, since we never found an answer or even an explanation. First off, I'm a retired detective with the NYPD, and now I do private investigation work part-time. I've been working for myself for the last eight years since retiring from the force. I've thoroughly enjoyed my retirement because I can work as much or as little as I want, which my wife greatly appreciates because when I was with the NYPD, I was working 60 to 70 hours a week at times. So this case got me back to that point of working long hours, just because I couldn't explain what happened. Before I get into the case, a little background on me. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, a lifetime New Yorker and proud of it. I always wanted to be a detective and to solve crime ever since I was a young boy. I guess it was from watching cop shows when I was a kid. My dad, who was also a district attorney, might have had something to do with it too. He would always tell me about the cases he was working. Of course, he wouldn't share any of the details of the gruesome cases or anything like that. I worked hard in school and got good grades. I knew from a very young age exactly what I wanted to do. I guess I was fortunate in that aspect because my kids are not the same way I was. I never got in any trouble when I was young or even in my adult life. After I graduated from high school, I went to college and got a degree in criminal justice. I applied to the NYPD and I was accepted. I worked my way up the ranks and eventually became a detective. I worked in the homicide division and I saw a lot of terrible things as you can imagine. Also, growing up in Brooklyn kind of gives you a little bit of a different perspective on life. I retired from the police department over eight years ago and now I'm a private investigator. I mostly do mundane work but sometimes I get involved in some interesting cases. This one I'm about to share is one of them. It's the most interesting, or should I say, strangest case I've ever been a part of. I still have a lot of contacts in the department and other places. I was contacted by a friend of mine who is a detective in the homicide division. He asked me to come down to the station and take a look at this case he was working on. He said it was very strange and he wanted another opinion. I went down to the station and he showed me the file. It was a strange case indeed. A man had been found dead in a warehouse in Queens. He had been drained of all of his blood and had these bite marks on his neck, chest, and thighs. I know what you're thinking. There's a vampire in New York City. Well, that's the first thing I thought of too. And you know what? It might not be far from the truth. But let me explain before you just dismiss this case or rush to any judgment. This man had been working out of this warehouse for the last five years. He was the only one who worked a night shift. 
Things became quite a mess on the warehouse floor from all of the movement and shipping and receiving going on in the daylight hours. His job was to clean up and prepare some shipments for the following morning when the daylight shift came in. He worked in the shipping and receiving department. He also worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. This incident occurred at 3.12 a.m. in the morning. The warehouse had an out-of-date CCTV-type security system in place, so we were able to capture some pictures of various events throughout the night. This wasn't a traditional CCTV setup. This system took pictures every 30 seconds versus a continuous video stream that went to a hard drive. The first picture, there's really nothing happening. This was taken at approximately 3.02 a.m. on the second floor of the warehouse. This is camera one. There is a stairwell that leads down to the first floor behind these cardboard boxes on the lower left side of this picture. As you can see, the quality isn't the best, but that's what we had to go on. This next picture is what is disturbing and strange. There is a security camera in the stairwell leading up to the second floor. And at 3.04 a.m., it captures this shadowy figure who we will refer to as the perpetrator walking up the stairs, making the turn on the stairwell landing, and coming out on the second floor. I really wish I had better quality photos. Now from the looks of it, I can't really make out what this thing is. It could be a person, but it just doesn't look right to me. It looks as if the head is hunched down low, and its arms are in an odd position for it to be a human. It's almost like it has very long hands. One minute later, this was captured on the second floor by camera 5. We had all the cameras labeled as part of the investigation process. There was 12 cameras in total, but only a few of them caught the events that took place that night. Outside, they had four cameras that didn't capture anything. That's another part of this that is completely odd. After you turn the corner from coming up the stairs, where camera 1 is positioned, there are these old shelves that are broken down. It's basically a temporary holding area for trash that hasn't been moved out of the building yet. You can see the same figure walking down the warehouse floor on the east side of the building. Same hunched over position as the last capture we saw in the stairwell. But in this picture, it appears as if the legs are not solid. I attribute that to the camera because you'll see it in the next photo where we tried to enhance it. Now at the end of the east side of the building is where the victim is. There is a stairwell on the corner of the warehouse that accesses the first and second floor. This took place on the second floor. Because of the way the warehouse is positioned, the second floor is actually at street level, and the first floor is only a quarter of the building. It's basically a few offices, an elevator, and a stairwell that leads to the second floor. If you go down the east side of the warehouse to the opposite corner and make a right, there is a shipping and receiving office. This is where the actual crime takes place. The photo we tried to enhance and add color to as best as we could at the far end of the east side of the building, which is about 100 feet outside of the shipping and receiving office. This is camera five, and you can tell that it doesn't look human. When we really zoom in on it, it appears as if it has larger eyes. It doesn't look more than four to five feet tall from all of the pictures that we captured. 
you can see how it is crouched down and sitting on one knee and has its arm resting on its other leg, almost like it's ready to jump or take off. I'm thinking it just noticed the security camera at this point because in the picture it appears as if it's looking up at the camera. Now this picture on camera 6 shows what we believe is the actual encounter. When the victim came face to face with the perpetrator. The victim was in his mid-50s and camera 6 was just outside of the shipping receiving office. You can see the door on the right side of the picture. The man appears to be pleading or negotiating with the perpetrator at this time. This is at 3.10 a.m. There were signs of a struggle before the perpetrator finally overtook the victim. There were shelves that were knocked down and the area was a mess. There was nothing caught on camera after this point. We put the time of death at 3.12 a.m. They found the victim the next morning lying on the floor completely drained of his own blood. These are some of the photos of the aftermath. We found some articles of clothing from the victim strewn across the floor, part of his shirt, boots, and socks. Although the victim lost a lot of blood during the attack, there were bite marks on his neck, chest, and right thigh, like his blood was purposefully being drained from his body. Definitely the strangest case I've ever been a part of. The victim didn't have any family, and both of his parents were deceased. There was no one to notify. Kind of sad, really. We racked our brains over this case for an entire year before it went cold. There were no fingerprints, no signs of forced entry, nothing. Only what we captured on the security cameras, which has me puzzled to this day, and that was five years ago. After this case, I started digging around on the web just for anything strange and that's when I came across some various information about cryptids, demons, and other supernatural beings. I was never a believer in this stuff before, but I can't explain what happened in this case. There is something out there that is not human. I don't know what the motive was. Was it for pure pleasure? Did it just drift into this warehouse for some reason? Like I mentioned before, there's no pictures captured of it ever entering the building. Was it living inside of this warehouse somehow? These are all questions that I cannot answer. I don't know if I'll ever find an answer for them. I would love to know what really happened that night. Hi Donovan. First off, love the show. I've been a subscriber for a few months now. This is going to sound a little crazy and a little far out there, but I believe they are taking prisoners and doing experiments on them. Well, some are having experiments done, but some just leave and never come back. I'm a prison guard for a maximum security prison. I have been for the last eight years, and I'm still working here. Obviously, I'm not going to divulge the details of where I work. I would be fired, or maybe even worse, like disappear like some of the inmates. I've been working the night shift for about two years now. I'm not sure if it's just my prison or all of them, but there are things going on at night that no one knows about, at least no one who works during the day. There are two or four inmates that disappear every month or so. They are in their cell at lockdown at night, and the next morning, they're gone. What I believe is happening is that they are being taken 
and experiments are being conducted on them. The reason I say this is there were a few inmates who came back, but they weren't the same. You could tell that they were different after they came back a few days later. The story for one of the inmates is that he got violent with one of the guards during lockdown, and they put him in the hole for three days. Now, I know this inmate well. We do get to know the inmates. He's not violent. Well, let's just say he's never shown any violence towards the guards, and has always been very compliant. His term was just about up, so why would you want to have any issues when your time is up? Anyways, he goes missing for three days, and some of the guards blame it on his behavior. And when he comes back, you can see it in his eyes. He's different. He's not walking the same way. He's not acting the same way. It's like his spirit was sucked out of him. There's been quite a few accounts of this happening over the years. However, most are just gone and never come back. That's the creepy part. Now I'm going to tell you a rumor that I heard from another guard. I cannot personally verify this myself, but I've known this guard for the last five years, and we hang out outside of work, so I trust what he says. He told me one night he was working transport duty, which is very odd to be doing at night. Almost all, and I mean all transports, happen during the daylight hours. They must have been short a man because these weren't the regular guards who were part of the transport detail. He didn't recognize them. So they grabbed three prisoners who were on death row, and they had been on death row for many years. They put them in the back of a van and they go off. Their destination is about a 45-minute drive from the prison. At first, the inmates are asking what is going on and where are they going. The other guards just dismiss them and tell them to get into the van and they will soon find out. Everything is pretty quiet at first, then one of the other guards starts taunting the inmates saying, hopefully you boys got a good meal in. You're going to need all the energy you can get. He looks over at the other guard and they start laughing. At that point, my friend is confused because he doesn't know what's going on. This is his first time ever doing this type of detail. He then asks the other guards where this transport is going to. One guard replies, the doghouse, and the other guard starts laughing. At this point, he's really confused, but thought it would be best not to ask any more questions. They get to the place and they open up the back of the van. The guards grab each inmate and pulls him out of the van. My friend is now completely puzzled because he doesn't know what's going on. He tells me that when they arrived at this facility, it was at least 10 miles into the woods. They drove on dirt roads for at least 20 minutes. When they get there, this facility has a very tall barbed wire fence surrounding it. They pass through this gate with multiple guards and drive up to this loading dock where they unload the prisoners. They take them into the building, and my friend said it looked like an arena where there was seating looking into the woods, and there were dozens of spotlights shining into the woods like a football stadium of some sort, but with only box seating. There were a group of other guards who took the inmates into custody, and then they left. On the way back, he starts grilling the other guards about what that place is and what is happening. They were reluctant to give out any information at first, but they ended up telling him that it's some type of feeding ground for creatures. 
like real-life monsters. They release the prisoners, and it's like a feeding frenzy for these monsters they have. One of the guards actually saw one of the events one time. What he saw is them release three men into the woods, and then a siren goes off, and then this big gate opens up. Once the gate opens, he just heard this loud beast running around, basically killing each man. He said it's hard to see anything from the ground. That's why they have the elevated seating. But he heard everything. I know it sounds crazy, but I believe him. I've known him for years, and he's a very honest person who would never make up something like this. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, or if you have any idea what is going on in prisons at night, but I wanted to let you know about this. Take care and be safe out there. Hi Donovan, I'm a police officer in the United States. I've been on the job for about six years now, and I've seen and heard a lot of crazy things. I don't know if you're interested in police stories, but this one is pretty wild. I was working the midnight shift at a very small town jail in Tennessee. We only have three cells, two for males and one for female. The building was an old house that had been remodeled to be a jail, so it was very open with no real privacy anywhere. There were three of us working that night, me, another male officer, and a female officer. At around 4.30 a.m., we started hearing strange noises coming from upstairs, like someone was walking around. We all looked at each other like, what is that? And we just kind of shrugged it off. Then we started hearing these banging noises coming from the ceiling, like someone was hitting it with something. We again looked at each other and I said, I'm going to go check this out. I walked upstairs and found nothing. No one's there. No reason for the noises. I went back down to my co-workers and told them that I didn't see anything, but that I would be checking around outside just to see. I checked around outside and found nothing, so I went back inside. As soon as I did, the banging started again, this time louder than before. My two co-workers were looking at me like, what do we do? I went to my car and got my flashlight and my sidearm. I walked upstairs to where the banging was coming from, and it was coming from behind a wall so I couldn't see what it was making the noise, but I definitely could hear it. I shined my light around and I found nothing. No one was there. I went back downstairs to my co-workers and told them the same thing. I don't know what it is. Like someone had hit something very hard. We look at each other again and just say, what is going on? Then we hear another loud bang, this time louder than before. It sounded like it came from right outside the door, which is just an open hallway leading to the cells where the noises were coming from earlier. I opened up the door and shined my light around looking for whatever made that noise. When all of the sudden something grabbed me by my shoulder and pulled me into the hallway. I fell onto the ground and my flashlight flew out of my hand and broke. My sidearm was halfway down the hallway. I immediately turned over to see what grabbed me, and all I could see was this vapor dissipate into the air. I was so freaked out, I grabbed my flashlight and weapon and went back to where my coworkers were, and they immediately asked me what had happened. I explained to them that some unknown force was out in the hallway. 
and I saw it just disappear right before my eyes. It doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while we still hear those noises. However, we don't go chasing after them anymore. I've been trying to capture some of these strange things that happen at our jail cell on camera. So far, I've had no luck, but if I do, I will surely send them in. I served in the military police in Iraq back in 2004. Every hour of every day was a game of Russian roulette. Improvised explosive devices would take out supply trucks that would try to escort over very dangerous roads. And there was no way of knowing where these explosives were except to just drive and hope that nobody's tires were on the wrong place at the wrong time. IEDs, they called them. Each time that I dodged death, it was the equivalent of making the right call of a coin toss. So needless to say, I was in a perpetually heightened state, running on what I would call Red Bull and pulling 18-hour shifts. When your senses are constantly in overdrive that much for that long, you don't always know if you can trust them. That's how your nerves get overdrawn and you're ripe for developing PTSD. I came back to the States with acute PTSD symptoms. But you know what? It wasn't because bullets were flying over my head, although that was a large part of the experience. See, Iraq is like one big acid trip. Ancient ruins in some shape or form are everywhere, and the locals treat them like they're no big deal. Stuff that was built closer to the time that Jesus walked the earth is irrelevant, spray-painted with stuff all sorts of stuff, and a hundred dialects you'll find over there. It was one such cluster of ruins, an ancient city that lost its place in the map, where bandits and ruffians alike set up camp and decided that me and my convoy were now a target practice. I manned the gunner's nest on top of the APC that I was in. I put my life in the hands of other men that I left at the steering wheel. This batch of men weren't backing down from the cannon I used to carve out slices of the ancient ruins they were hiding behind. A few of them, I think under the influence of something, came out into the open. Well, you don't just turn down an invitation like that. I was going to blast them down. When three or four towering shapes raced out of the ruins and mauled them to death, my eyes were telling me that I was looking at walking rabid dogs. My brain was telling me that this was impossible, but it wasn't my hallucinations that were butchering those bandits before my very eyes. They didn't stop to eat. They began leaping towards my convoy like large, furious dogs. And they struck me of terror that made my hand shake so much I almost couldn't aim or fire the APC's cannon. If you know anything about the stuff that goes on in Iraq, you might have heard of giants being discovered in the Iraqi mountains. Yes, I'm talking literal giants talked about in the days of Noah, in biblical stuff. That's well covered up. So I had heard stories of that from fellow soldiers here and there, but only took it with a grain of salt. I guess this area is keen, and when I say area, I mean all the Middle East, especially for its paranormal and weird stuff that goes on. So I guess I shouldn't be too surprised in hindsight 
but these oversized dog creatures were just kind of shrugging the bullets off. Two of them had succumbed to their injuries. The rest of what I saw, I realized that I could actually kill them, but they scattered. I took the whole thing as a sign that I was well overdue for rest. My turn to sleep finally came, but my problems didn't end there. Strange howls and weird noises spilled into the night. My men weren't sure what to make of it since they sounded like they were coming from wolves that were immensely sized. I didn't say a thing. Deep down, I had a hunch that we were being hunted. The ones that survived were not only real, but I'm sure they wanted revenge. I didn't know how I knew this. It was just an innate feeling, like the moments when my deepest intuitions had been right. I just knew a feeling that I was a marked man. I mean, I knew that terrorists and their sympathizers were going to lash out, but they didn't have the keen senses that allowed them to zero in like these beasts do these rabid, humanoid, wild dogs. Several nights passed where those otherworldly howls and growls were somewhere far away, but not too far, close enough to come calling if I ever fell asleep long enough. That awareness has wrecked me. I was discharged not long after for being deemed mentally unfit to continue my service. This has happened to many servicemen that never gets talked about. The howling even followed me home to Maine. How the things have tracked me across the ocean, I'll never know. Or maybe it's the sound haunting me. Maybe they aren't really flesh and blood, or only partly so. I don't know. Guns and barricades and iron bars are never far away enough anymore. It's the only way I could steal a few hours of sleep after spending hours of hearing my own heartbeat. It's probably going to give out before any of these demons come looking to make their killing blow. Thank you for listening to my story.